0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the Yield Mastermind Talks Podcast with your host, Philip Brandazzo. And we are live. What's going on? Yield Mastermind Talks podcast. This is your host, Mr. Philip Randazzo. And happy Monday to everybody. It's the Monday following Valentine's Day. I hope everybody who is dating or married to somebody had a a nice little shindig or little uh, dinner plans. Or, you know, I took my girlfriend to breakfast because... I'm just that type of a guy. Apparently, I don't call or make uh, plans to go to dinner early enough in advance because by the time I called all the restaurants, they had already booked all their Valentine's Day uh, dinner reservations. So that is what I had to do. I hope everyone else had a fantastic day, and uh, I hope everyone is having a fantastic start to their week. We have of course, an exclusive interview to release to you guys today. And I'm actually super jazzed about this one because this one came to me in kind of a weird way, but it turned out to be actually one of my favorite interviews to date. You guys are going to learn a ton from this individual, but real real quick, I'll tell you guys the story about how this came about. So we have a member of our group, the Yield Mastermind group. She contacted me and said that her boss actually is someone that I need to talk to. And so, you know, I'm being the the nice gentleman that I am, I said, yeah, sh- of course, I'll talk to your boss. Love to get him on the show. And, you know, I just being nice, you know, I didn't expect a whole lot. I thought, okay, this girl's boss listens to the show. That's, that's awesome. We appreciate everyone who listens. But, you know, I'll give an interview because, you know, he's, he's obviously a boss of his own company. He's doing something right. I'm not sure what's going to come of it because I didn't hear about this guy myself or what, what have you. And so after, after the interview, I was actually midway through the interview i was blown away but after the interview i i just i left the conversation just totally in shock and and just in awe really of the caliber of people that we all have around us i think it it just it would you know, really benefit us to look around and see who around us is doing some high-level stuff, and at what level, and just ask them about it because you never know who that person is that's really going to have a fantastic story. And that's that's how this interview came to us today. So I really hope you guys enjoy it. I'm going to give you guys some background info, and th- today's interview is with Mr. Ken Macalise And guys. Ken is the managing member of Advanced Child Behavior Solutions, which was co-founded with him and his wife. He graduated from Auburn University with his degree in psychology, and he earned his master's and his PhD from the University of Nevada, Reno. He's got a ton of certifications, and he's the president of the Nevada Association for Behavior Analysis. He's been uh, twice the president there. He's worked over 15 years with individuals diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, other intellectual and development disabilities, and rare genetic or medical conditions um, with affiliated learning or behavioral complications. So as you guys can see, super bright dude, and you'll hear in the interview, he started this business while he was in grad school, literally in his in-law's basement, I mean, there's literally that 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 rivals the story of, you know, um, Steve Jobs founding Apple in the garage. I mean, it's a fantastic story. He's got tons of insight into what it takes to hire good employees and to be a good employee. He tells us what he does on a daily basis. He shares with us uh, the difference between being on the court and being off the court. You guys will understand what that means as you listen to the interview a ton of great content a ton of great insight in this interview and i'm just going to shut up and let the interview speak for itself guys here is my conversation with mr ken McAleese. and joy today's episode is sponsored by rocket fuel 101 Now guys, if you're looking for a book that's going to help give you a framework to succeed, to reach your goals, to accomplish those things you've always wanted to accomplish, to take that leap of faith, maybe get you out of your comfort zone a little bit, you know, you might be a person that isn't quite sold on personal development books, self-help books, maybe you're a young person who doesn't feel like the books relate to you, you could be any age, Rocket Fuel 101 is a six step process that's going to propel you towards your goals and stop you from drifting through life. This is one of those books that's going to provide you with a framework. This six step process is going to help you figure out your passions, pick a trajectory, you know, launch your mission, go ahead, set those goals, go 100% at it. You're going to bring people along with you. You're going to find a mastermind network. There's so many things that this book is going to give you. You do not want to miss out. On getting a copy for yourself. And in sponsoring the show, Rocket Fuel 101 is going to give you 15% off any and all purchases of books, whether it be the hard copy or ebook. All you have to do is go to the Rocket Fuel 101 numbers, rocketfuel101book.com. Again, that's the rocketfuel101book.com. And when you're at the checkout, type in the promo code PODCAST. That's promo code PODCAST. You are going to receive 15% off your purchase. And this is something, it's not a one-time deal. You will get this no matter how many purchases you make. All right, so here's what I want you guys to do in this order. Go to the RocketFuel 101 bookcom Get yourself, your friends, your family, whoever you want. Get them a copy of the book. Enter promo code PODCAST and start reading. You guys don't want to miss out on this all right hello yield mastermind talks podcast this is your host philip randazzo and today we have another special exclusive interview and that is with mr ken McAleese. ken how's it going great great awesome we are glad to have you on the show i know it's been a, a little time coming here we are glad to get you on and uh, i know we have an exciting conversation today
1: well Philip, i want to thank you for having me on um, what you and uh, j t are doing uh, to kind of shake up things up with the old mastermind is pretty inspiring and it's a privilege to be able to extend some of my story to your audience today that's awesome.
0: thanks for sharing that all right cool so Ken you have a very interesting story and and you you come from a very scientific background and I would love it if you could just kind of take me, uh, because I don't know that much about it, and the audience as well, kind of through your just basically a bullet point story of, you know, kind of how you got to where you are today in the field that you're in.
1: Well, I think the place that I would start, Philip, is um, I got I went to Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama, and graduated with my undergraduate degree in a very small segment of uh, psychology called behavior analysis, and um, I came out to University of Nevada, Reno, where I didn't know anybody. Uh, which was a big part of my development. Um, went into graduate school, got extremely excellent training. UNR just happens to be one of these places where behavior analysis works the best. And I got a lot of uh, extensive training working with children with disabilities, um, autism spectrum disorders being one of the most prevalent. Well, <clears throat> while this is not necessarily a story of intention per se, it certainly is a story of kind of how something fell in my lap and lap, and then as an opportunity I really took it to that next place. and. Uh, in around 2006, one of my friends was doing some work uh, consulting a regional school district and could not fulfill um, an aspect of a contract and asked if I could come in and help her fulfill um, the kind of ending of this contractual period. and. So, in some respects, I think that I was wary and reluctant to think that I could be my own business person, and this opportunity falls in my lap where I have to kind of have a formal structure and liability policies and what have you. And I'm here; I am still in graduate school. I have a master's degree at this point, but I'm still really incubating um, in, in becoming a little bit better at my craft. And it's those moments, and, and you guys speak a little bit to it in your Rocket Fuel 101 book, but in, in the sense of <laughs> where I where I made a decision to move out of a, a zone of safety yep. uh, and into a place where I w- was willing to take a risk. And in this case, I just hopped in and did it. And um, I did it, Philip, inside of something that I don't think a lot of people think let me just say it this way: I think a lot of times when you read a business book or, or you go to school, you, there's a way you're supposed to start a business. Uh, yep. You know, you have to have a particular legal formation. You have lawyers, and you have liability policies, and you have to have um, uh, all contracts drawn up. And I mean, everything was kind of done based on what I could find by googling things. Um, I remember kind of incorporating on my own, not knowing if it was perfectly legally correct. I remember. Um, I'm trying to write a business plan, but I did it more as an exercise, as a check mark in a box, as opposed to really being intentional or looking at it and being present to it every day. Am I hitting my goals? I I just remember all this work of just kind of jumping off the cliff and not being sure. And and uh, I was doing all of this in graduate school living with my in-laws at the time. We we had next to no money, Philip. I mean as graduate students, you get a little bit more financial aid, but for the most part, I mean, if <laughs> we talk about negative equity, I think I was the picture perfect case of <laughs> it. Uh, between credit card debt, student loans, and uh, what I made in a year um, in terms of graduate stipends and research type stuff was next to nothing. And so, you know, starting this out was literally just like one step at a time. Uh, you know, one business license is here and then a professional liability thing there. And so we started to kind of add one piece to the next. and. I don't even think at that time we had a clear sense of what our mission would be. I don't think we had a clear sense of what our values were. We don't, we had no sense of any type of goal. Uh, I kind of enrolled my wife at that time into that work and she started doing the work with me at that time. And, um, in a weird way, it kind of started out without much intention, without much other than just kind of feeling an existing need in our community. And, um, it kind of transitioned later into something a little bit more serious, but, uh, when we first started, it was a bit of just how can we provide a service to children with disabilities who have a need in the community? Um, and jumping off that cliff was really, the I think, the critical piece and helped me really get started inside of something that was courageous. And um, when I think of courage as a statement of kind of acting in the face of fear um, and being in action in the face of fear, I, I definitely look back on that. I, I think sometimes I think when we look back at ourselves, we think, gosh, we were too stupid to to know if that was the thing we wanted to do or not do. But I really think that um, I took an opportunity that, was, that I, I created. I, I don't think I realized that now, you know then, but now, yes. and ran with it. And it was what started the business. And as that income started, client by client, um, because I think you've talked about this on your podcast before, but it would have been very, very, very hard for me to get any type of um, capital Outside, I mean outside of borrowing from family and friends, which I could have done, but I didn't really want to in terms of traditional kind of SBA loans or something like that. this, I mean I don't think people were being lending on anything that I had going on at that particular time. I mean they would have to be lending on an idea and I'm just not positive that would have worked back then. So a lot of this was just taking the money that we made little by little and, um, and then kind of putting it back into the business little by little, piece by piece. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that the – the piece that was there that was patient and and something for, for the young entrepreneurs that listen would be, um, I was very comfortable living inside of a student's lifestyle, Philip. Yeah. Because of that, I was actually comfortable and really tried to maintain that lifestyle for a few years into the business, um, which allowed us to be able to continue to move forward, um, little by little by having that extra money, but without, um, having to take out loans or any significant sources to get the business started. And, um, that, I, I, I really think, was part of kind of freeing me from having to have a lot of expensive things like houses, cars, other things that some people graduate and they feel like they need. I, I just maintained a particular level of existence that wasn't about um, uh, my bling, if you will, and yeah. more about um, what I was interested in doing, which was um, kind of crafting this company, which was built on a really, really high quality and high integrity model. And, um yeah, I mean, we jumped out from, you know, like I said, working out of a home situation, uh, one contract at a time, into working in our own house, in our own basement, uh, which had its own challenges, uh, working <laughs> from home. And then we, we gradually kind of moved, uh, you know, into leasing office space and, and uh, continuing to grow into to different office spaces as we grow.
0: Yeah, well, first of all, congratulations on everything you've accomplished. I mean, that's an absolutely incredible story. And one of the things that I love about your story is that, you, you learned by doing. And you started out not trying to you know make all this money or see you know your name on as many billboards or whatever as possible. You did it because you wanted to help people. And I think that's something that, that I think JT and I did with the Yield Mastermind group. I mean, we just kind of fell into it. And as we continue going step by step, similar to your story, things just started to happen. We got to do this over here. This thing needs to happen over here. And I think in my personal opinion, and I'm sure you can attest to this, I think that's the best way to do it. Because like you said, you know, business plans are great, but you basically fill it out for, for tax or lending purposes, and then you stick it on a shelf. And uh, you don't really adhere to it too much. And, you know, I I think if if you were to adhere to it, it, it would almost be detrimental. Because when you fill something like that out, you know, nothing ever goes according to plan. It's it's kind of, uh, you know, you, you set out to do something and it, the, you know, the course of, of doing it, the journey is so totally different than you ever had anticipated.
1: I don't disagree, um, Philip, in the terms of, I think that a lot of that exercise for people is to try to create some presence and intentionality of what their business would want to be. And as you mentioned, for lending purposes and other things, it's kind of one of those necessary check marks and boxes I've come to learn, though, that it is important, though, to try to set or frame goals um, and be committed to them. Now, I, whether it has to be inside of that that particular uh, template of business planning or not, I, I do believe that there is something good about setting intentional goals. I do believe that there's a way, though, to recognize those goals are there, but to be okay with the fact that it may meander from the course, if that makes sense. And I, that's why I was kind yes. of, I agree with you. I, what I found about myself, though, is if I don't set goals, um, I tend to be um, kind of floating around a little more aimlessly. And so I used to avoid setting goals, Philip, because I was afraid exactly of the thing you mentioned, which is I don't go forward into producing uh, what I want to do. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. If I don't hit the goal, then I won't fail. So if I don't set it, there's no. You just, you, then I don't have to fail.
0: Yes. Yeah. Exactly I, that, so is, that is... So. Totally something that we see at the Yield Mastermind Group, and something that I think a lot of people deal with in terms of setting goals, and that's why um, you know we believe that people don't set goals uh, very specifically because it kind of leaves it in this gray area where you know they they can maybe check the box that they hit it, but if they don't hit it, it's like there wasn't really a clear goal anyways, and so I think I mean man, I struggle with that. Um, all the way up until very recently, just because you 're right if you don't if you don 't set the goal or you 're not very clear on it and then you don't hit it it 's okay, but if you set something and you don 't do it well okay who's that fall on it doesn 't fall on anybody else but yourself
1: well, and I agree, and I think part of what we started to look at is as we started to get more intentional about what we wanted to do with the business as we grew as we had more employees um, We started recognizing as this kind of human service industry that we do um, that our goal was never to have this kind of money-forward conversation. It was always to have this kind of family-forward conversation. And um, our business, Advanced Child Behavior Solutions, really became about how to deliver quality services with high authenticity and high integrity. And kind of finding our employees was framed inside of those values, where quality existed and types of outcomes that we searched for our children. I mean, as we started to set up that type of goal, is that – I've heard some of the people who've been on your podcast speak to that before, so I do think that there's some connection to success. It was less about the financial target. It was much, much more about we're going to build the service quality and we are going to believe that people will seek out the highest quality service. Yes. And um, there's going to be companies that are going to do the model a different way. I mean, in our particular area, this autism service delivery thing, Philip. these kids uh, are getting diagnosed left and right. I mean, this is kind of this – major problem in the United States, if not internationally. And there is plenty of let's go out and make money off the suffering of these children. Uh, It it exists everywhere uh, in our country. In a weird way, it actually takes more effort and a stronger commitment to staying inside of a smaller quality, high caliber service delivery thing than it is to unleash kind of the mass volume related behavioral service options that exist uh to service a ton of kids kind of without without you know without pulling this kind of putting putting the full effort into it and we just decided that wasn't going to be who we were and um so you know we have challenges in terms of how to scale that quality conversation i think as a lot of high quality companies do how how would we continue to grow uh and and build this model out so more and more kids can get access to it but Without giving up who we are in terms of our quality, in terms of our integrity, in terms of our authenticity, uh, and right now it seems to be a pretty hard thing to do. We have seen no model of it being successful out in the world at this stage, but we're hoping that we'll um, that we'll maybe be the people who are going to forge into this and kind of create a new beacon that others can look at. Um, but even that, I guess, was going to hard. I mean, is for us to say we're not about trying to go make money. We are trying to figure out how to make good salaries, good lives for our employees. And how to deliver a service where we can go to sleep at night knowing that what we're giving people is worth their their time and um, is something they're willing to share with their friends and their families.
0: Yeah, I I think that's really what it's all about. And you hit on a couple things there that I – that I really love to hear. And and for, so first of all, you know, a lot of our listeners are either still in school, whether that be in high school or college or graduate school. And some of us, like myself, are are very young entrepreneurs, fresh out of school. And so you started this business in your in-laws home while you were still in graduate school. I mean, maybe speak speak a little bit to what what that struggle was like. And then I know that, um, you know, part of your story is that you ended up, you know, you you brought on some employees, and those employees were also brought into that home <laughs> at a particular time. I, I, I would love to hear kind of how that well, all unfolded. I think it, there's,
1: there's a couple lessons of both kind of industry and also uh, possible avoidance that I learned along the way. The first thing is that I spent a lot of time Philip, trying to get everything just right and just perfect. Uh, before moving forward. And and what I mean by that is that instead of relying on the expertise of others, um, leveraging the power of groups, which is kind of another common theme I've heard in your podcast and in Mm -hmm. the book, um, I I try to do everything on my own. Meaning if there was, let's say, a tax-related issue, I would literally be like Googling tax code, reading it, trying to figure out like what the best way to set this up or to expense that, uh, what was the best way to do this or and I did it all on my own, which in some ways is cool and empowering. Like I didn't necessarily need those experts to create all that for me. At the same time, I don't believe that it was probably the best way for me to allocate my resources and time to. Other people knew how to do that and I should have kind of paid my way out of that. Now, because I didn't have money, I didn't think that I didn't think it was worth it. I kind of thought like, well, I'll just do everything. And that was kind yeah. of I guess like I guess the two side of it, the double-edged sword. One is is that people can do it. So if you are an entrepreneur and you do want to start something, you don't have to have all these fancy pants people uh, to do it or make, to make, get it off the ground. However, uh, it may be a better use of your time <laughs> if you have the funding and if you have the resources to go use and access those professionals so you don't waste a bunch of time doing something that other people know a lot about.
0: Yeah.
1: Yep. Um, I think that's one part of it. The second part of it that you kind of mentioned in terms of bringing employees on, we at that point we had moved out of our in-laws' house. We were in our house in our basement,
0: okay. okay.
1: And we had employees. We had employees kind of coming in and out of the house uh, all day, and. um we were all working in like one little basement office, uh, probably say about 100, 120 square feet. So this is a pretty small little space. We had three or four of us. And then as we started to build employees, we used to hire groups of people who would come in and provide these home-based services. I mean, we would sometimes have, you know, 10 people in this room. And I think there's something kind of cool about like, well, we didn't have to have, uh, again, that double edge, we didn't have to have a suite office. Uh, We didn't have to have, all the bells and whistles. I mean, we would meet clients at Starbucks. We would meet them at their homes. Uh, we we were trying again to kind of bring because we didn't have a ton of money. We we're trying to figure out every ways to kind of save or kind of put something out. The hard problem though is that when you have employees come to your home, if something goes wrong with employers, something doesn't work very well. Well, these people know where you live. <laughs> um, there, you know, meaning there's some uncomfortable things that some yeah. employees that we realized once we had kids that it wasn't going to work anymore. So when my wife and I started the kid conversation, well, one, everybody has to listen to kids crying upstairs while they're trying to do business calls. And two, um, how in the world are we going to have some privacy and separation, if you will, between our business and our personal life when the business is in our downstairs office? The work is always there. You can hear the fax machine come off. You can hear the business line ring downstairs. And I think we started realizing there was kind of a psychological sacrifice to our health by having it stay in the office. Or I'm sorry, stay at the home. Yep. And that's when we started to look really closely at moving out uh, of that place to get our own, which I think it, when people are ready, get through it, but recognize there's some issues um, that are going to show up when you have a home-based business.
0: Yeah, all great points. Yeah, I I I've- totally spaced on the the aspect of it. You know, somebody, if it doesn't go so well, they know exactly where you live and probably everything about your home. That's uh, probably not the not the best case scenario there. But you hit on some things there that I think are really important and something that, man, I wish I had heard, and I'm a young guy, but I wish I had heard this when I was even younger because I think it's so critical. And, you know, you you talked about wanting to get it just right and wanting to have that whatever your product or service or your app or your launch or even like something small like making a movie or whatever you 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 spend so much time trying to perfect it that by the time you put it out it's just i i think really what what changed my life was really putting out the you know the 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 least viable product, if you will, and and putting something out there and letting the people that I'm providing this service to kind of tell me, okay, hey, this is really good. This could be better. You could change this. You could move this around. I that was huge for me, and and you know it's it's something that I find a lot of young entrepreneurs who do take that leap kind of figure out. So if there was someone out there listening right that right now and they're kind of struggling, they have this idea that they know they're they're really good at and it could really benefit a lot of people but they're just scared to put it out there. What what's the one thing you would say to them just to kind of give them that encouragement just to go ahead and do it?
1: Well, the one thing I'd say to encourage someone, well, I um I'll kind of use the distinction uh, I got, Philip, from some personal development work I did that I think may help frame a way to move forward. I'll see if it see if it if it lands with your audience. But um, I told you, kind of prior to the podcast, you know, I do some work with personal development through um, a company who provides kind of personal development services called Landmark Education. And, mm-hmm they do all kinds of things to kind of help empower um me inside of what I want to do in life and who I want to be in life and so it's just it's, it's a tool um and it's I should say it's my life now not just a tool but there's a distinction that they brought up that's kind of insightful that I think might be something that I would lend to somebody in the midst of having an idea or having a criticism or seeing a need that exists but they haven't moved into action I would I kind of suggest this metaphor, and I may kind of botch it up because I, again I told you i 'm not an employee of this company, so i 'll do my best as a as a consumer to kind of explain a distinction they gave me, but it 's this distinction between being on and off the court in life, and um, i 'll try to describe what kind of on the court and off the court is, but I think once you can kind of see this a little bit, you might be able to kind of identify with it and kind of recognize like how to get on the court, which is what i 'm really encouraging this this person that kind of that nameless person out there who's listening. Uh, a way to access it. And I think that he, he, here's how the setup goes. If you think about kind of what is required or what shows up in what I call off the court or in the stands behavior, Phillips. So when I'm watching a game um, or watching a game at home, like I was watching the NFL game last night. We're kind of recording this the day after the Super Bowl. But, yep. um You know, in the stands, conversations are criticisms of players, telling people, you know, what they did wrong, what they did right, clapping and cheering for this. But it's not an actively engaged conversation. It oftentimes suggests or describing the players and describing what's wrong in the world. And you'll see this a lot in political conversations where people have a lot of criticisms about this particular representative or this particular president or this particular Mm -hmm. administration. And all it is is just talk, kind of criticism. It's kind of in the stands thing. There's nothing actionable in a lot of that talk. Now, if you think about kind of this place, when we're on the court, you and I were playing a game. And I I think I remember reading up on you that you do some basketball or have a tradition in basketball. Yes. You're actively engaged. You have strategies. You have plays. Um, You may win. You may lose. But you're playing to win. You're present, fully present to the moment, Um, every pass, every shot, um, the outcome, the score, the time left on the clock, how many timeouts you have. Well, when you're in life, when you're in action, um, you are doing, you're playing the game. And that doesn't mean you're not going to make errors, Philip. That does not mean there won't be failures. That does not mean there won't be setbacks. But you're literally on the court shooting the ball. You're on the court passing the ball. You're not talking about the game. You're not criticizing the game. You're not thinking about why your teammate didn't do X you're thinking about what we need to do on next play or what, is, what am I going to do with this dribble or this player in front of me. And I think when someone has an idea that they're looking at kind of, t- and they're just inside of that talking about the idea, my, my second step may be is to figure out by talking with others how, can, and because I, I do believe sharing is critical here, if they're struggling with just how to get it off the ground, is trying to find some people who can share them how to get off the ground, but they're going to have to take the step off the cliff at some point. And if somebody's got ideas, if it's about money, if it's about this, about service, a product or something, they're going to have to at some point take that step to get on the court and stop talking about it and move forward. But if they can kind of first sense, like, how long am I going to stay in the stands about this and when am I going to get in court? Because where the court is is where life is. It's where inspiration is. It's where power is. It's where fun is, vitality and I think that the more we spend time in the stands talking about our idea, that's fine. I think it's important to share and talk about it. But at some point, we've got to move forward. And I think the problem, part, part of the hard thing, and the advice piece is, well, what is the next step? Will depend a bit on what the service is, what the product is, where the idea is, and all the other facets. But my sense would be, is to get into communication with either a Yield Mastermind circumstance where you can set goals with a group, uh, where you can get accountability. But to know where that next step forward is, you're going to have to talk to somebody who has, probably has a little bit more knowledge than you if you don't know anything about the particular area of service or industry that you're in. Now, that doesn't mean that you can simply stop there because sometimes you've got to be careful with how much people are going to give you advice because everybody gives it to you. But when you're trying to create something new or novel, you sometimes have to have the courage to say, and I've got this idea how this is going to work, but I'm going to move to the left of that and do my own thing as opposed to just recreating the last innovation that existed. Uh, and I'm going to soapbox from it because sometimes that bothers me um, inside of kind of business and marketing things. There's oftentimes this study of, well, let's talk about, you know, um, the CEO of Oracle or let's talk about Steve Jobs. And I mean, think, I think all those stories are interesting. But if I don't want to create what they created, I mean, I could listen to the example of what's great about what was happening. But once that innovation has transpired, I don't necessarily know if I want to keep studying like, that innovation, if I'm trying to do something truly new, I'm literally would just be recreating what they've already created. And so sometimes it's a matter of like listening for that, but also be willing to forge your own territory, which is a little bit hard. I know I strayed a bit from your question. But no, no,
0: that's that's totally fine. And man, that's uh, I'm going to steal that that analogy of on the court, off the court, because I think it makes total sense. You know, there there is a time and space for you to have the conversations and kind of be off the court. But then you're right until you actually get on the court and take action really nothing is going to change or nothing's going to move forward until you do that and i think you're right you know it's and that's one of the reasons i love this podcast so much and i love doing this is because i don't you know those those big stories of steve jobs and and like you said you know the michael dells and all that stuff it's great but i love hearing the the different ways that that it can be done because you're right if you just recreate that i mean you may be able to accomplish what they've done, but you're going to uh, essentially be creating the same thing. And I think we all have our own unique abilities and unique takes on things. And I think it makes sense to kind of get a well-rounded idea of how it can be done. Think about what works best for you and your circumstance and what you're trying to do, and then move forward that way. So I think that's an absolutely uh, awesome, you know, um, yeah. difference exactly. in, in what can be done.
1: Well, thank you. And I, I, yeah, I won't belabor that point, but I just think it's hard. You know, I, I don't want to be amazon.com. You yeah, know, I I'm in, I think it's fascinating. I think the story's fascinating. I think the product's amazing and the service they give us is fast. Fascin- I mean, I, you know, it, it, but at the same time, I'm not sure reading exclusively in this area or Zappos or, you know, pick something else that's just amazing and, you know, accelerating and into our kind of consciousness and our, I, I just think, um, Sometimes you got to step to the side and kind of be inside of whatever you're doing, and and again, being courageous that there are some things that would be beneficial to read. I don't, I, I hope I don't tell your readers don't don't read, don't listen, but also to be okay with like if you have something that's different than what exists, being okay with that being what you want to have happen.
0: Yes, I totally agree, and actually that's a great segue. So. Um, for those of you listening, Ken and I were on b- before the podcast here started recording, having a, an awesome conversation about the book that j t and I just put out rocket fuel one hundred one and you made a great point that I really want to bring up in the show is that you know when you read a book, I think from from where I used to be in my own personal experience, I used to read a book. Um, I'd get some stuff out of it but I was reading it primarily to tell to tell other people, hey, look, I finished one book or finished 10 books in a month or you know, read x number of books in a year, but I'd read the book, kind of set it down, pick up the next one and I wouldn't really learn or take away anything and you made an awesome distinction and I'd, I'd love it if you could just share that story really quick. So for those of you listening, you know, the little backstory. So, you know, Ken picked up our book and he read it and there was a point at, in the book where he kind of felt confronted by something that JT and I said, and I'll, I'll let Ken take over the story from there.
1: Well, I wish I could find the exact page number Philip, but I'll, I'll kind of speak to it because it'll pop up somewhere. Um, if, if your readers get it, and I think they, I encourage them to look at it. Cause I think it's really, um, an interesting book. I, I would say, um, So, it was this concept of when you're inside of kind of creating your goals and there's kind of action steps and completing a goal. There was a particular place in the book where there was something kind of confronting to me, and it was this concept of um, being in neutral. And I think the statement was something like this I'm sorry if I'm paraphrasing poorly, Philip, but it was something to the extent of, you know, if you're not in action, your goal. that day, you're either taking a step forward in achieving your goal or you're taking a step backward. And that neutral place is kind of not – to me, I was reading it like it's a step backward if I'm in neutral. And so my thought was is that sometimes when I'm confronted by something I'm reading, I try to pay special attention to like why that bothers me. Um, Oftentimes, the things that bother us is a way for me to be defensive about something, to be righteous about something. And literally, what I was creating in my reading was like, Philip and JT are wrong. Neutral is okay, because you're not really backpedaling. There are going to be things that happen in your day. And you were talking about, I think you guys talked about the tyranny of...
0: Uh, yeah, tyranny of the urgent.
1: Yeah, and we call, I call them vampire tasks, the things that like suck me away from who yeah. I want to be in my vitality. I uh, borrowed that from another one of my friends, but I... But I remember thinking to myself, like, there's days that neutral happens. And I was trying to make that, like, really – like, I was justifying it in my head, almost like if I was to write a statement to these guys, I would say, you guys have got this neutral concept wrong. But then I stepped back from it, and I said, you know what? I think that they're actually right. It, you know, if, if every day I'm alive on this planet and I'm kind of one step closer towards kind of my terminal endpoint, my sense is is that we are – If I'm not working towards some of these goals that I have, I actually am stepping back. Like, literally, in terms of temporal, linear time, I am moving a step back. And I remember thinking to myself, like, what do I have to do? It was just one of those places and it's just kind of something for me to explore this morning. But how do I make presence of mind to move from neutral to have one, even if it's a small thing accomplished every day? Maybe it's a project where I have to do some writing or a policy thing or something. Why, there's nothing that prevents me from writing one sentence a day or having one phone conversation. And that's just not set up explicitly. And so without intention, I just fall back into the place of survival, mediocrity, and least in this day. So it was just a powerful point. And when I wrestled in the reading with it, I realized there was something I needed to look at. And so I stepped away from myself and kind of stepped out of my righteousness and said, what's here for me? What's important for me to look at? And that's one, that was one thing. So.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, and, and the reason I bring that up, and for for the listeners, is that when you are dissecting a book, or you know, you're reading somebody else's story, or you have you have things come up when you're maybe it's listening to a podcast, watching a, a TED Talk, whatever it is, when you have some of those feelings come up, and and the reason I really resonated with with this when you were telling me this story earlier, Ken, is that you know that's something that I struggled with too, and so before I would just say that person's wrong or their idea doesn't, uh, you know. Um, doesn't relate to me. And so I'm going to disregard it and move on to the next thing. Well, when I really actually took a step back out of the situation, uh, being inside of it and said, okay, why is that bothering me? I really got this Awesome view of what was going on and, and maybe where I had a weak point or where an obstacle was coming up that I could actually move forward on now that i had had actually you know looked at something from an objective point of view and so I really really love that you shared that first of all, I love that that you that you uh that you enjoyed the book that 's awesome and you know for those of you listening, just when you read a book I, th- I guess my main point is just take your time with it, really grasp a concept or you know, maybe there's something like this that comes up with what you're taking a look at, and really try and move forward with something. And, you know, with the book, you know, the the point of being, you know, there's no neutral days. And now there's, there's a time and place for fun, a time and place for rest, all these things are actually, in fact, pushing you forward on your goals. Because if you, if you don't sleep, you're not going to have adequate energy to, to, you know, put effort towards what you're trying to accomplish. But our point was exactly how you put it. You know, there's, if you're not taking some incremental steps on a daily basis, and that, that, you know, brings us back to goal setting and all these great things, you you really are kind of moving backwards. And so, uh, I thank you for, for reading the book and recommending it, and also thank you for sharing that with me earlier. Now, this is a, a great um, a great segue into, you know, there's things that I do on a daily basis, such as, you know, um, my my morning ritual of, of writing in a gratitude journal, et cetera. Now, are there any things that you do on a daily basis that um, that kind of push you forward or help you get centered into what you are, you know, trying to accomplish that day or what you're looking forward to do, et cetera?
1: Yeah, without question. Um, Philip, I was... I think the first thing for me is, um, again, a foundational thing that you and JT have both discussed. But it is just part of my morning routine is exercise. And um, it really – it's just kind of getting my physical body in. I'm going to either sometimes be in the car for long parts of the day or going to be sitting at a desk for long parts of the day. And so kind of getting my body in motion and moving uh, is just one part of kind of getting – my physiology in the space where I can really work the way I need to work in the course of my day, how I'm going to attend and all the other things. So it's really important that I get it in, uh, in the morning if I can. Um, the other piece that I would say, so that that's just huge. I think the other piece is um, I do a little bit of forecasting. I kind of have these kind of overarching goals that I'm looking at that are kind of laid out on paper. And then I usually do some work in kind of writing out the kind of the intentional things of what I want to accomplish inside of my daily tasks. And uh, so I do a little work kind of getting present to those things. And then it sits next to me all day. So it doesn't get folded up. It's not like stuck in my iPad when my iPad's off or my iPhone. I have it literally written like old school style on little notebook paper. And it sits in front of my desk, so I stare at it all day. So it's, it's there for me to continually reference and like what am I going to accomplish? And I, and I really get a lot out of, you know, getting something crossed off or check marked off. And, um, and and there's another way too, of keeping those goals in existence. You know, when you're committed to something, Philip, it's really easy once things get tough to start to pull off a little bit of it. Like I remember Mm -hmm. thinking about, there was something I was also reacting to. There's something kind of follow your bliss, find your commitment. I thought, yeah, I like that. And I would add that remember that sometimes in fulfilling on commitment, you're going to go through places where it doesn't feel good. And that could be an exercise goal. That could be something that's uncomfortable. Because most of the time we're built to survive, right, Philip? I mean, and I don't think we're actually built to leap off uh, cliffs frequently. And so sometimes you're going to run up in a goal where you're going to be confronting something new, something you don't know. And in most cases, that's where you kind of go turtle and you pull back in your shell, your arms, your legs, and your head. And so what I've actually had to teach myself is inside of those commitments, inside of what I'm trying to keep in existence with those daily tasks and those other things is don't let myself go turtle. I want to go, uh, go big. I want to be alive. I want to attack the things that I'm struggling with, but recognizing that I have to figure out ways of keeping my commitments in existence and writing them down on a piece of paper as small as that is, is one way of me um, keeping those things in existence that are important to me in terms of my commitments, my goals, my values.
0: Yeah, man, I I love that. And it's funny you mentioned that because literally, as we're recording this, I have my, you know, daily task list sitting on a piece of paper in front of my computer, just kind of staring me in the face. And I love that because a lot of people now they're trying to go high tech and get all these, you know, productivity apps and all these things that they think are going to help them because their package is a little fancier than a pen and a piece of paper. But I love that distinction. And it's it really does make a huge difference. I know for me personally, having it sitting on my desk right in front of me every single day, it's like, it's staring me in the face telling me, Hey, you wrote me down. You wrote me as like, I I write, you know, the most important task of the day that I need to get done. And then some kind of secondary tasks that Mm -hmm. follow my most important task. And it's like, it's staring me in the face, you know, kind of taunting me saying, okay, you got to get me done. You said I was most important. And I think you're right. If you kind of tuck it away in an iphone or ipad you can kind of lose sense of it and i i I love the uh you know the i think you call them vampire tasks i love that i'm gonna start using that those things get in the way and take your attention away from it and if you don't have it in front of you to refer to it it is a little more difficult to get back into the flow of what you're trying to accomplish
1: yep and they happen all the time for small business owners philip so you know i so I guess what I'm saying is get intentional and starting creating goals for yourself and um, how to get that ball rolling might just start with one thing on a list and then gradually build up. And then I, I, you, you, know, you start getting better and better at kind of planning what you can actually accomplish as you, as you get stronger and stronger in time management. But probably like anything that you first start, whether it's exercise based or something else, the initial getting, you know, kind of the inertia of getting the car rolling is hard to get it moving at first. But once it gets moving, it gets a little easier. And I think sometimes recognizing that there's a little bit of pain and kind of discovering working with goals and recognizing there's setbacks when you start to create this. Sometimes people write too many things on their piece of paper or too few things. And I think the idea is it takes a little bit of energy to get something rolling. I mean, I guess, you know, you do a lot of that physical uh, fitness and you've done the, some coaching and, and uh, the uh, uh, exercise. I can't think of what I'm thinking of calling it, but you guys basically... You gotta know that when you first start running or walking, there's gonna be pain, there's soreness, it might be uncomfortable. um, But I think you gotta stay inside of like that, those things are part of the process. In fact, if you know you're stepping into something that's off the cliff in a weird way, you're gonna be uncomfortable. And it's actually a sign that you're probably on the right track, like weirdly. Uh, I know that sounds paradoxical, but I sometimes think if you already knew how to do it and you're not uncomfortable with it, then I'm pretty sure you're not in a place where you're breaking up that survival routine, if you will. I think you've got to get a little uncomfortable. And if that starts with something small, like a list, well, get uncomfortable and get, get uncomfortable with a list, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're so right. It's, um, it it is one of those things where, you know, humans are built to kind of have the least resistance and kind of have the most comfortable path. And so, Any sort of stepping off the cliff is going to—it needs to be challenging. And you're right. You know, there's a quote from Joseph Campbell that I love that I've been referring to a lot recently. Is that you know when you are following your bliss or passion or vision or whatever you want to call it, doors begin to appear where there were once only walls. And and I think it's—it's a great distinction because you're—you're so right. When you are going after those things that you love to do, you're gonna really feel uncomfortable. But things are going to start happening in that in that uncomfortable space that are going to basically show you that you are indeed doing what you're supposed to be doing, and I love that. And this is actually another great segue into something that you've been doing um, in terms of like public policy and legislation in Nevada, and I, I think this is absolutely fascinating, and it's not something we talk about a lot in the podcast. But I want to hit on it because you know this is not um, anyone who's in, in education or. Even someone like me who, who, who's done marketing and, and stuff and fitness, I have zero idea how legislation works or how to even begin that process of, of changing things that are in place. And, and you've been doing a lot of that. And so if you could just kind of speak to how that started and, and kind of what drew you to that and how you've been actually able to make an impact in an area where you probably didn't have a whole lot of expertise starting out.
1: Well, thank you, Phil. This it, it, I think that this will be a contribution to some extent for your listeners um, because it is another one of those stories of once you've been practicing jumping off cliffs, I will say that it gets a little easier to start jumping off cliffs. Um, and this was a cliff. We, Our particular profession, this behavior analysis thing, um, back in 2009, a piece of legislation um, came across Nevada that was going to provide um, private insurance funding for children to get this therapy that we do. Um, covered. Um, And in that process, um, lo and behold, they decide that they would like to license our profession. So it starts really small, but nobody knew how that was going to happen. And so we had basically, again, one of those choices, I mean, where these opportunities come up and you say, well, am I going to do nothing and let people decide what is the right thing for my profession? Or Am I going to kind of step into that and create what I can to um, make the licensing process our profession work? And so that was actually my first venture into this, was working with our State uh, Board of Psychological Examiners to craft this licensure policy. And I remember initially, again, being afraid and how do we speak to kind of not just what I do as a company, but what do behavior analysts do in our state? What kinds of things can we create for consumer protections? Um, And again, Philip, these are unpaid things. So this is time. Like, where does it show up? I mean, this is why that time management, the other things are so effective. Because you got to dive in sometimes because it's necessary, it's required, and it literally shifts and changes the field. And a lot, I think, a lot of people are like, "Well, whatever happens, we'll just be okay with it." But the very initial stages of this process, Philip, were literally where people were saying, "You guys are only going to be able to see three kids." at any one time, which no business could actually function in. And if that policy actually made its way into regulations, it would have crippled Nevada and our ability to provide services to children with disabilities in this community. So it was the first place where we started. And I think what's also neat about this place is to work inside of creating policy, regulatory things, or even some of the legislation, which I'll get to in a second, is you have to leverage the power of your groups. I didn't know at that time, but I remember, and this is why it's important to frame commitment, my commitment was is that these children in our community deserve high-quality service that is well-funded in our state. If we want to be a leader as the state of Nevada, then I remember thinking, if this means I have to give up certain things to have a voice, to be free to self-express, That has to happen. And I can still remember talking to this one family member about like, no, I'm not going to do it. And then I just said, you know, I'm going to do it and I went for it. But the cool thing is, is that we've created things. We've created additional funding. Um, As far as a stepwise process felt, that is definitely one where you have to start to interact with people who play in the game uh, to find out how it all works. I'm not a politician by nature, but I learned – particular ways that I could add to the conversation. My background in science was I was I became kind of the person who could bring the research to the conversation and so that senators and uh-huh. legislators could know what they needed or not needed in the state was had a good scientific basis. But other people provided emotional appeals and parents and other things and that was crafted by a larger group. But um, therein lies that piece we, we don 't always look for it as a place that can change because we don 't think I think our bureaucra- our bureaucracies and state systems can change, but they have this massive ripple effect on sometimes what we do um, there 's been policy and changes in legislation to independent contracting status in our state of nevada there 's changes to our tax codes to um, the way that we have gross revenue taxes this year. I mean there are things that people can do to be in the midst of that conversation, and it 's other than identifying the problem literally getting out there and start having conversations and um, and, and you can – you any member of the public can go and give testimony uh, for any given bill or any particular conversation um, in, in any legislative group across the country. And there's ways that you can just call up your local representatives and find out how to do that. And it just starts with having a three-minute conversation prepared about why it matters or doesn't matter to you. And so few people are willing to do that or write a letter, being in action, being on the court with – making a change. Instead, let's just criticize this president. Let's just criticize this senator. Let's say why Nevada doesn't work. Take action with it. And it starts if you don't have any money with at least using your information, using your vote. and um, Those are the two things that matter to uh, people and those things are money and votes. So if you don't have money, then start figuring out a way to explain why it's important to you and help educate uh, senator and congressman around how that's going to work. So anyway, just another little place where people can extend and contribute.
0: Yeah, man, that's so awesome, and I I love that you know you just kind of dove into this area because it it was going to you know impact what you were doing, and like you said again, you know it's the on the court, off the court thing. It's like if you're not if it's going to impact you in a negative way, or something's going to happen that's going to change what you're doing, instead of being off the court and just talking about why it's bad, and you know just having the conversations with people, go ahead and actually get on the court and do something. I, I love that aspect, and I think that's yep. something that all of our listeners can benefit from. It's like, no matter how big or small something is, there, there are still actions that you can take. And like, you know, somebody out there listening might say, well, you know, you know, I can't do, I can't, one person can't impact this this entire legislation deal. Well, as a matter of fact, you can, it just starts with the incremental small steps. So I think that's an awesome story. Thank you for sharing. And so, Real quick, before we get into the rapid fire portion of the show here, what is the the next thing that you're most looking forward to? Whether it be you know professionally, personally, spiritually, what is the one thing that you're most looking forward to uh, that's coming up next?
1: Um, we uh, uh, good question, Philip. Um, our team here, kind of our senior staff and our group here at Advanced Child Behavior Solutions, um, we worked a bit to kind of reframe our mission, our value statements, and recreating a five year plan. And we're at, the front end, we're at the front end of that conversation. But going back, it's kind of a nice bookend of the first part of a conversation we had about kind of where setting goals and how that all matters. We are trying to just take a look at who we are right now, turn over every stone and reframe our mission, look at our company values um, and look at what directives we want to have place inside of what is our next five year uh, set of goals, what is our vision. And we're at the very, very front end of that process. Um, but what's exciting is, is that I'm, I, I just feel like what it's going to unfold for us is going to be limitless. And I believe, um, I, I, I think I just kind of bubble with excitement about kind of getting to that process and getting complete. And it's one of those places where I really felt that at least recently, there's been a couple real neutral places. And so, I mean, our conversations already inspired me to take action and move forward and uh, get a few things accomplished where we can get that baby rolling again.
0: That's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. Thank you. All right, Ken, we are going to move into the rapid fire portion. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So when you think of the word success, who was the first person that comes to mind and why?
1: Um, it, it was a mentor uh, that I had in graduate school, and I have kind of two and for different reasons, but there's one gentleman named um, Dr. Pat Freiman, who's a behavioral pediatrician, if you will, and um, provides services to children. Uh, kind of typical development, but this guy really had this ability to kind of give away things that mattered to him to others so that they would sustain beyond him. Uh, what I'm suggesting here is he he didn't need a lot of credit. He didn't need a lot of acknowledgement. He was just there to inspire and move something forward. But in the things that mattered to him, he tried to inspire people inside of those things so that they would continue to do them so that when his day passes one day, that other people will continue the legacies of his research conversations, his personal contribution conversations, et cetera. Um, and then the other gentleman was my other advisor, my other mentor in graduate school, Dr. Pat Gezzi. And and the reason why, so I, his version of success is that he was able to stay inside of a high quality, um, high integrity um, service delivery model that really still serves as an inspiration to me in, in how to bring the absolute best service to children with uh, disabilities. So those two gentlemen, were successful for different reasons for me, but um, both of them were able to maintain family lives and friends uh, without this kind of trail of tears, if you will, being both successful in their professions. I also admire people, not just for their contribution to their professionalism, but also that they can do it inside of where they don't have to look back and see that there's this kind of trail of ruined lives and six divorces. And yeah. you know, all of them have done right by the world in the midst that they're moving through it. So I think that, I've not only found people who can contribute, know how to do that professionally, uh, but also people who can live life well, and I want to be like those people.
0: Yeah, man, that's a, that is a great share, and I think both those guys um, sound like people who who lived their you know lived their words and actions, and they were all you know it all correlated. And I think that's for me, that's how my mentors are. Also, it's people who are doing what they're what they say they're going to do and and they do it in a way of integrity. I think those are people that everybody needs to have in their life to kind of, you know, uh frame their lives on if you will. So, fantastic. Uh what one book would you recommend or what one book do you gift the most?
1: Um I was, I've thought about this a little bit. I, I, I'll kind of give two. I, I think one that might be inside of just starting a person into thinking about what's possible. And it's, it's a big picture type of thing. It's called The Three Laws of Performance by uh, Steve Zaffron and Dave Logan. It's kind of one of those businessy, personal development kind of books, but I think it will help start people seeing how they might be blind to what is possible and also help to start kind of unblind them to the limits they may have imposed in their lives. And I'd say the other book is one for people who exist inside a business, and this may not be perfect for your audience, but there's a book called Tribal Leadership, um, which is a really firmly based science book, again, by a guy named Dave Logan, John King, and Haley Fisher Wright. And uh, they did a ton of research to kind of figure out how kind of organizational groups fit together and how to kind of move your groups into something, again, limitless and framing possibility and drive everywhere. So those are two great books that I'd recommend anyone read. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've heard of the first. I haven't heard of the second. I'm going to have to pick that up. But anything okay. that revolves around, you know, tribal leadership, there's a great book book by Seth Godin that just came to my head when you said tribe. But His book mm-hmm. is called Tribes, I think, um, and something that it seems like you do extremely well with your with your business and your employees is that, you know, you give people ownership and you create a place where people feel like they are a part of, or, you know, essentially a part of the tribe. And I think that's, that's huge in creating something that people can get on board with and help push forward. Thank you, Phil. All right. So besides this show, what one podcast or online resource, like a YouTube channel, et cetera, would you recommend to somebody?
1: Well, I got a few, but I think um, they might fit different purposes. Uh, You know, one just from just a general, just a great put together podcast is um, that WNYC, uh, the Radio Lab podcast. If people are just interested in like different historical things, and they're just really, really good podcasts, really well put together, high interest. uh, I think people get a lot of, of cool things out of that. I think Planet Money is done well by NPR. But probably my day-to-day go-to is um, just one that kind of frees me from uh, – it makes me think about things that I wouldn't normally think about. And it's going to sound weird when I say it, but um, it's the Joe Rogan experience. Um, and this guy is – I know just some you know, MMA commentator who's also a comedian, but he really seems to challenge uh, – I think he challenges the boxes with kind of his conversations and who he brings on the podcast. And there's every conversation from just learning about comedy stuff. He brings friends of his that are comedians on, and you kind of hear about their craft and their trade, but you kind of listen to humans being humans. It's a very real, unedited podcast. And then I think the other thing is he brings on health experts and, but I just like how he's kind of trying to move. I feel like there's something in moving us forward and not being so attached to what um, we think is right. And so in that way, he's kind of, help free some constraints that I may have imposed on the way I think about some things he's done that. And I don't know if I could, it seems weird when I say that because this guy is not an expert, you know, in development or personal development doesn't probably claim to be, but it's an entertaining podcast, but it shakes me up in terms of just kind of challenging my existing norms, I guess.
0: Yeah, man. That's funny you say that because that is my, my favorite podcast right now. And it has been for quite some time just because you're right. It's, First of all, it's it is totally freeing. It totally gets your train of thought off what you're normally thinking about. And and he really does do a fantastic job of interviewing his guests and, and really just being real. They they have real conversations and they really do challenge a lot of the norms and it's it really is a it's just I mean, his interviews are very long and it's a just a great way to decompress and, and think about things like you said that you normally don't think about. That's an that's an awesome share. So Nice. We we talked about this before, but um if you had to to pick one part of your daily routine to do for the rest of your life, if you couldn't do any other parts, what would that one part be and why?
1: I would say exercise and um because I I I want to stay out of the hospital as much as I can. And obviously Philip, I can't control my genetics. I can't control oh, you know well, to an extent, I guess I was gonna say there's sometimes environmental pressures that can shift that around, but mm-hmm. I want, to, I want to stay healthy, and I want to eat right, and I was going to say exercise. I don't know if I want to say general health, but exercise would be critical. I'm going to do everything I can to um, keep myself alive long enough to contribute as long as I possibly can. So exercise is a critical piece for me.
0: Awesome, awesome. So here's kind of a, a side question here. What is your favorite movie?
1: Um. I would say that I have a couple but uh I'll one for fun and then one for kind of uh inspiration. My fun one will be um I like the Ocean's 11 series uh with the Brad Pitt and George Clooney and all that game yeah. uh, it's, I just think that they do that really really well and uh, but my inspirational one would be kind of a story of tragedy but again breaking out of limits. There's a there's an old movie called The Power of One. Uh it was actually a book um I mean, this one will take you through a journey, but it's about kind of an English boy who has just a number of tragedies come through his life and he has to kind of wind up being set in like the 30s, 40s, I believe. And uh, just through all these different tragedies, um, he kind of continues to just leap over every single terrible thing that happens. And so for people who are struggling or at the bottom of things who are kind of down on themselves in life, like this particular story, which is fictional – um certainly crafts a conversation of you know we can move past anything in every bottom is just a way to climb out of something and there's a this i always will thinking the inspirational so the power of one good it's a good
0: good movie and a good good book fantastic i'm gonna have to check that out all right so ken where can people find uh find out more about what you're doing and what you're up to
1: Well, I would say that um, I was thinking about my non-perfect website that we have out is probably the place where most information is um, there just in terms of what our company is doing and what we're up to, Um, and that's at advancedbehaviorsolutions.com. That is part of our plan in terms of redesigning and rebuilding that thing, because I'm certainly not happy with it, but it still exists despite my unhappiness with it, and um, that would be the place they
0: could get get, uh, the most up-to-date information about us. Fantastic! Awesome! All right, so we always end the show with a quote. So, Ken, what is your favorite quote?
1: Well, I was going to get one that's from my particular field um, by a behavioral psychologist named B.F. Skinner, and it's—he uh, says, "The rat is always right." And really, what this means is that when you're doing an experiment and something's not going as expected with the rat, um, oftentimes there's this kind of sense of. Uh, We're going to blame the rat for not doing what he's supposed to do. And I think it's not that the rat's stupid or lazy. He's just not responding to the environment in the way that the experimenter arranged it. And I've taken this example into my work with my children, with uh, the kids that I work with, with employees, if... Your employees, or the kids, or even your consumers, if people aren't buying a book or listening to your podcast or whatever, it's not because they're lazy or because they don't do something, because this, they're, they only respond to the environment they put themselves in. And uh, I'm sorry, and how it's arranged by the employer, by the therapist, these other things. So it's one of these things that keeps coming back to me, not just as a concept that matters in some arcane experimental way, but in terms of a life way, is that our environment shapes a lot of who we are and what we do. And um, you guys talk a lot about one thing in your book and in the podcast about you're the sum of five people that you hang the ro- around the most. I remember mm-hmm. thinking that is leveraging your environment to bootstrap yourself up. And it's funny, actually, Philip. I remember when you first started telling me you were saying Jim Rohn. I thought you were saying Jim Rohn. Like <laughs> and so I was like, wow, Jim Rome has said some really profound things. I used to listen to that. And then I was like later, I was like, wait, that's not the Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn, R O H N, sorry. Yes. I you, but I, I just believe that this rat is always right thing that people respond to the situations they're placed in with the experiences they have. And if we can begin to shift some of those things around, it can shift the way that you behave, the way you act, and the way you respond. And so you're not a victim. You're not, you're able to leverage yourself out of whatever position you're in in life um, by just reshaping and changing the environment. And, um, I think that can be freeing from some people.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. That is a great way to end the show, guys. There you have it. Ken, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate you sharing with us. It's It's been a very insightful for me. Thank you, Phil. Yes, of course. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next week.